Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. The Actus podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, November 6th, marks our 136th program. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Clinical Series 2, ARDS and Acute Respiratory Failure. As you can see on your screen, today's show is supported systems. 3M is committed to eliminating revenue cycle waste, creating more time to care, and leading the shift from volume to value-based care. Its innovative software and services help close the loop between clinical care and revenue integrity while providing, while helping providers, payers, and government agencies reduce costs and enable more informed care. So this is, the, this is part two of a three-part clinical series supported by 3M. You may recall that we covered types of anemia with Paul Evans on our last program. And our final show in the short series will take place in December. So I'm joined today by my co-host, Laurie Prescott, there on the screen. Laurie, of course, is the CDI Education Director for us here at Actus in Middleton. She's the developer and lead instructor of our Actus Bootcamp line and a subject matter expert. Um, she's also the co-author, I showed you this on the opening screen, of our upcoming, which is just um, being told at the printer, indispensable CDI reference, the Actus Pocket Guide. And I want to welcome her to the program. She's serving double duty today as both guest and co-host. So uh, welcome, Laurie. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Do I get to ask myself questions? Is that how it's going to work? Exactly. You can <laughs> you can throw yourself some softball questions like, you know, is Laurie Prescott the greatest instructor on the planet? Yes, no. Oh, she's too yeah. modest to answer. <laughs> All right. But as we always do, I'm going to start with a poll question related to today's topic. Give me a moment to get this pulled up on your screen here. You should be seeing that now. The question reads, do you have any issues with distinguishing ARDS or ARDS and respiratory failure in your organization? And your options are no, you don't have any issues and queries are really rarely needed. Uh, is it somewhat of an issue? Uh, yes, this is an issue with distinguishing these two conditions. Uh, not applicable for those that maybe aren't currently in the CDI profession or in, uh, working in an acute care hospital or other. If you have another comment about this, we'd love to hear from you. You can put that in the chat and we'll try to work that into the show. So again, do you have any issues with distinguishing ARDS and respiratory failure in your organization? Needed, uh, somewhat of an issue. Yes, this is an issue for us. Not applicable or other. Okay, we got about 75% of our audience has voted. I'll give you one more second here and then go, I'm gonna close this out and we will, as always, uh, come back to this question in uh, just a few minutes. All right, 
Well, as I mentioned, Laurie is again co-host and guest. Maybe we'll be asking ourselves some questions. We'll see. But I'm gonna I'm gonna start with some questions for you, Laurie, before we before I turn it over wholly to you. <laughs> um, but let's just start. You know, what is so ARDS is acute respiratory distress syndrome. What is that? Uh, can you discuss kind of the etiology and the presentation of this condition for our audience? This is one of my most favorite subjects because I think it's a challenge for CDIs on a, on a number of levels. Um, and, you know, one of it is, is how does ARDS fit into the picture of respiratory compromise and respiratory failure, which um, I'm sure we're going to discuss as we move through it, too. So let's first start with a simple definition for acute respiratory distress syndrome, or ARDS. Um, the way I look at it is that it occurs when there's a fluid buildup within the alveoli, those little sacs within your lungs that lead to hypoxia. And in general, that buildup of fluid occurs as part of a systemic inflammatory response or SIRS. Um, ARDS typically occurs in people who are already critically ill. So it's not somebody that just wakes up and they're in ARDS. They, they usually have had some kind of significant injury or illness to begin with. Um, the patients most often will demonstrate severe shortness of breath um, within a few hours or a few days from whatever that precipitating injury or infection is that brought on that systemic response. So their presentation usually will um, include severe shortness of breath, labored and unusual rapid breathing, hypotension. They may um, also demonstrate some confusion or fatigue related to the hypoxia. So again, the main complication that you're going to see with ARDS and that fluid accumulation in the alveoli is going to be the inadequate gas exchange and, and the resulting hypoxemia or low oxygen level within the blood. You're always going to have hypoxemia with an ARDS patient. The pulmonary edema is caused by um, any major direct or indirect injury to the lung. So examples of direct injuries would be things like pneumonia, exposure to toxic fumes or smoke that's breathed into the lungs, aspiration, gastric contents. Um, it may be due to ventilator intervention or maybe even a, a near drowning experience. So it could be a direct insult to the lung and a, a direct injury to the lung. And there's also indirect injuries that may um, also contribute to it, such as sepsis, a patient that, rece that it receives multiple blood transfusions, trauma to the chest or the head, pancreatitis can result in ARDS, fat embolism or a drug reaction. So it's going to be a systemic reaction that leads to that increase of fluid within the alveoli. Now, I talked about patients that receive multiple um, blood transfusions. There is a condition called trans transfusion-related acute lung injury, or trolley. It, it maps to the J95.84 code. And that's just a um, rare syndrome characterized by sudden acute respiratory distress following a transfusion. I've seen this once in my career. It's um, defined as a new acute lung injury during or within six hours of receiving a blood product. The absence of any temporarily associated risk factors so it would be related to that um, transfusion. That could be a whole conversation in and of itself. Um, I don't think there's anything, any coding direction that says that you can't code ARDS and trolley together if both are present. 
um, but that but that might be something um, to think about if your if your patient had received a transfusion close to the time that they demonstrated that respiratory distress. So the provider's physical assessment will likely describe um, the lung sounds as being wet and will describe the presence of dyspnea or cyanosis. And for diagnostic criteria, the symptoms usually appear um, within one week of the direct or indirect injury to the lung. Um, imaging studies will demonstrate bilateral opacities that are not fully explained by effusions, consolidation, or atelectasis. So I'm going to repeat that because one of the important words is bilateral, bilateral opacities. If you have an opacity identified in imaging in only one side or one lobe, that's a more localized reaction that wouldn't demonstrate ARDS. ARDS is systemic, so it's going to occur within the entire lung. It would not occur in just one lobe or one side. So you're gonna have bilateral opacities, and the second important piece of that definition is that they cannot be explained by effusions, consolidation, or atelectasis. So we need to understand that ARDS and pulmonary edema will appear with the same presentation on imaging, but the provider must take the patient's history into account to differentiate the etiology of that fluid overload. That's, just, that's what's going to help you differentiate the ARDS. They, um, the provider's likely going to do perform a cardiac assessment on the patient. They may perform an echo, and the echo, if the echo demonstrates that there's left ventricular failure, then you're likely not talking about ARDS because that would demonstrate a cardiogenic etiology for that fluid accumulation in the lungs. So remember that the left side of your heart receives blood from the lungs through your four pulmonary veins, and if that left ventricle isn't functioning correctly, that fluid will build up in the lungs. That's a cardiogenic um, contribution to that fluid overload. That's not going to be ARDS. That's due to the heart functioning. Um, so if the physician determines that it's not due to the heart, and there is some kind of insult or injury that would have led to it, that's when you can start thinking of ARDS. The severity is going to be um, based upon your PaO2 and your FiO2 ratio, your PF ratio, and the ARDS can be differentiated as being mild, moderate, or severe. Um, there, is no, there is no differentiation within the code set. We just have that one code for ARDS, but your physician may um, differentiate that in the notes. Now, there, we can't just give them a pill to cure it. Um, the treatment is going to focus on supporting the patient. So your clinical indicators are going to look at that support that allows the lungs to heal. And patients may um, worsen upon the diagnosis before they actually get better. Um, we may, um, our goal is just to maintain oxygen levels and end organ perfusion. So the patient may be on CPAP to stave off um, any further decompensation or they may be um, intubated, invented, and last-ditch effort, we may actually have to use ECMO as well for these patients. So um, one thing that I often see with these patients, and you'll see it in the nurse's notes, is they um, do prone positioning, where they're going to place the patient in a prone position for better to allow for better gas exchange um, for the lungs to expand better. So you may see that as well. And we're just going to continue to assess their oxygenation, support it, and let the lungs heal. So that would be ARDS right. in a quick nutshell, Brian. Yeah, that's uh, 
tremendous amount of information and important stuff. Appreciate that, Lori. You know, the so our, our, our topic today is ARDS and acute uh, respiratory failure. Um, just curious how, how this differs from that condition um, and also whether you can report ARDS and acute respiratory failure together. That's a common question we get. So any, any way to particularly distinguish these two and, and what happened and can they be reported together or are they sort of, is one a component of the other? Yeah, that's a great question. We actually get this one a lot in our, in our boot camps. Um, it usually generates quite a bit of discussion. So I just talked about what ARDS was. Remember, it's, you're going to see bilateral opacities, fluid um, collection in the alveoli, not due to a cardiac issue that's related to some kind of insult, rather direct or indirect, to the lung. Now, let's stop and talk about what respiratory failure is um, in comparison to that. Now, when I teach about respiratory failure, I like to start with what is the act of respiration. So I like to bring it right down to the basics. The purpose of respiration is to transfer oxygen across the alveolus and then transport that oxygen to the tissues and the organs of the body. At that point, the carbon dioxide is removed and that is transported back to the alveolus and we expel that out to the atmosphere. So when we talk about respiration, respiration, we're talking about the intake of oxygen and the outtake or outflow of your carbon dioxide or your waste. Respiratory failure is could be anything that happens in that process of taking in the oxygen all the way to the point that we exhale the CO2. So it can be a disruption in any of that. And so we know that respiratory failure um, within the code set and medically can be classified as either hypoxemic or hypercapnic, and it can also occur in both an acute or chronic state. So it can arise from any disruption in the airways, the alveoli, the respiratory muscles that are helping to expand and contract your chest wall. It can be a disruption in the central nervous system or peripheral nervous system. So there can be several different etiologies to respiratory failure. And as we just discussed, the diagnosis of acute respiratory distress syndrome um, and that there is a confusion between the two in, in the fact that ARDS includes the concept or the presence of respiratory failure. So in, every, in other words, every patient with ARDS also demonstrates acute respiratory failure. The kicker is that not every patient with acute respiratory failure has ARDS. So, um, you know, Brian, I like to teach with analogies, and I think mm -hmm. of respiratory failure and ARDS like I do my favorite chocolate bars. So we're a week out from Halloween, so those of you that have little kids in the house, go, go grab their candy if there's any left. I, one of my favorite chocolate bars is an Almond Joy. And um, I'll eat mounds if they're there, but I love Almond Joy. Now, what's the difference? A mounds bar is an Almond Joy minus the almond. So a mounds bar is just the coconut. Um, now, when you throw the almond in and you get the Almond Joy, that is what ARDS is. ARDS is the almond. Um, the constant is the coconut in the chocolate bars. So the constant is acute respiratory failure. What differentiates a mounds from a almond joy is the almond. So your ARDS 
only it's the almond of the two. Um, and what I mean by that is everybody that has ARDS will, you'll see clinical indicators that acute re that support acute respiratory failure, but we have to get down to what is the etiology to figure out whether it's an acute respiratory failure or if it's a true acute respiratory distress syndrome. Gotcha. Res respiratory failure alone does not support ARDS if that makes sense. So I just probably okay. made you hungry with the chocolate bars. I know, and actually, I'm actually wondering if there's anyone out there who actually eats mounds. I love mounds, but I, I like the almond better. I do too. So, <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> as we discussed, ARDS is a non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema. So if the etiology is a mechanical issue related to airway management or a neurological issue related to suppression of the respiratory system, or fluid overload related to that left ventricular function, then the diagnosis of choice is going to be acute respiratory failure because it's um, due, it's a failure in the act of respiration. So I, I usually tell people it takes a little bit of critical thinking when you're looking at these charts. Um, for example, if there's documentation of an acute respiratory failure in pulmonary edema, a review of the record should include clarification of what is the underlying etiology of that pulmonary edema because that is going to tell you whether we're talking about ARDS or we're talking about respiratory failure. Um, you want to understand what, what caused it in the first place. You want to look for the bilateral opacities and um, the um, respiratory decompensation to, to differentiate the two. So the okay. treatment is actually going to be the same too. So that's the, that's the confusing part of it. We're going to treat whatever that underlying etiology is. And so that treatment may give you a clue as to whether you're talking ARDS or respiratory failure. Because if you're addressing cardiac function um, that can explain that fluid overload, then you know you're talking respiratory failure versus ARDS. So understanding um, the etiology of the fluid overload if flu and knowing that you have to have fluid overload present to support the ARDS um, will give you the two. Now, I think you also asked, um, can you code the two together? Right. This, is a, this is a question that I get a lot because everybody says, well, if respiratory failure is always present with ARDS, we should be able to code them together. But we can bring that back to a couple, couple ways to explain that. One, if you have a code book in hand, if you open up that code book and you um, look, you will see that there is an excludes one note in the tabular list underneath respiratory failure that tells us that we cannot code the acute respiratory distress syndrome, the J80 code with respiratory failure. So it's written right within the code set that you can't. And the reason for that is goes back to my first explanation that everybody with ARDS has respiratory failure, which means it's integral to the ARDS. So coding the two together, you can't do that makes sense. All right. Thanks, Lori. Um, we're getting close to the end here of our interview here and uh, just wondering maybe we could wrap up with some uh, any any best practices for physician education in this area that you can share anything from your hard-earned days uh, uh, educating physicians back when you were uh, still in the acute care setting any, and anything you share with your students now maybe the, for, for tips on sort of the physician education piece, helping them distinguish this, of course, in the documentation itself. 
Yeah, I, I have fond memories of chasing physicians down the hall about this very subject. Um, I, I think physician education is really important, one, because every discussion you have with a physician, learning is going to happen both ways. So you're going to learn from them, they're going to learn from you. And, um, you know, we constantly talk about, and you can see that advice throughout the ACTUS website and within our boot camps, that organizations should work to develop organizational definitions of those types of diagnoses that can be confusing, meaning people will maybe have different interpretations of what they mean. And, and respiratory failure is one that we um, tell people that you should have a, you should develop an organizational definition of what is acute and chronic respiratory failure. I would suggest within that definition that you also fold in some um, direction related to ARDS. So how is ARDS differentiated from respiratory failure? And what that'll do is support consistency among your coders and your CDIs um, when querying and reviewing records to understand the two conditions. And it's also a great teaching tool to use with your physicians because physicians will often use these terms interchangeably. So, um, you know, speaking to them about, let's talk about what truly is ARDS and how does that differentiate from respiratory failure. And a lot of times I'd start those conversations by just asking them, what they thought. So, you know, hey, Dr. Brian, you know, can you um, explain to me the difference between ARDS and respiratory failure? Um, how do you how do you decide what term to use? And see if they're giving you an answer that's consistent with your understanding. And if not, that allows you to open up the door to have more conversation and more education. So if, if you ha are having problems with it, I would work on developing that um, definition and work with your pulmonologist and your intensivist and then see how to roll that out throughout the organization so everybody can kind of get the same impression and use that term the terms consistently gotcha well thanks Laurie ton of information presented today really appreciate it um, let's let's go ahead and bounce back to our poll question here Again, we asked folks uh, if they have any issues. Do you have any issues with distinguishing ARDS and respiratory failure in your organization? So our results are uh, a fortunate 26% say no, that queries are rarely needed. So, but we have about two thirds, so 66 combined percent say either somewhat or yes. So majority are having some issues here with 43% somewhat and 23%. Um, do have an issue in, in their organizations with distinguishing these two conditions. 7% not applicable and 1% other. So hmm. any, 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 any thoughts here, Lori? Um, you know, I look at the ones that say no queries are rarely needed and part of me wonders because I think back to my practice when I was looking at records, I very rarely queried for ARDS and I wonder if I was missing it. Um, I. Part of me wonders if I was accepting acute respiratory failure when perhaps ARDS was the, actually the diagnosis that I should have been going for. Um, so I would just suggest to people when you're looking at these charts, kind of think to yourself, what is that underlying etiology and make sure that actually the term the physician is using actually matches the clinical scene. We, we might be missing it now and then. Hmm. All right. Good advice, Laurie. Okay, let's um, let's hop over to our in the news segment. So, in the news is a regular segment featuring 
the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. So speaking of respiratory issues, today I wanted to discuss some new coding guidance issued by the Centers for Disease Control and Statistics, or CDC, for vaping-related lung injury, which is now described actually as e-cigarette, or vaping product use associated lung injury that really rolls off the tongue. It's now e-valley, or e-valley, I'm probably not pronouncing that correct. Our listeners may recall we covered this issue on the October 9th Actus podcast. At the time, this was condition was being described as vapus or vaping-associated pulmonary inhalation syndrome. Again, now it's Evali. Um, but just some just some context of where we are with vaping injury. I'm showing here a article from Medscape. Uh, entitled Vaping Injury May Be Leveling Off But Risk Still High. This is from the CDC. So according to this article, as of October 22nd, the number of Evali cases had grown to 1604, said uh, Ann uh Principal Deputy Director of the CDC. 34 deaths have been confirmed in 24 states, with additional deaths being investigated as possibly linked. The vast majority of all patients with Evali have been THC users. Um, of more than 860 patients, approximately 85% reported use of e-cigarette products containing THC. 10% of patients reported using nicotine-containing products uh, only. So this, again, is information from this Medscape article. Um, so to help get a handle on sort of the size and scope of this epidemic with coded data, the CDC on October 17 issued a supplement to the ICD-10-CM official coding guidelines for coding encounters related to e-cigarette or vaping product use. So I'm going to go ahead and pull those up. Um, we did not have these guidelines available on that October 9th ACTUS podcast. We do have these now. So this is documents freely available on the CDC website, as I always do. With all of our programs, I will provide you guys with the links to these stories. Um, again, if you're ever looking for, uh, if you're ever looking for um, where the where where the Actus Podcast archives lives, I'm going to show you right here on your screen. I get this question quite a bit. So if you go under Resources, right on the home page, hover over Resources, click Actus Podcast. This is your landing page for the program. And all of our shows uh, are located here, all the way back to the very first one. If you really want to dial all the way back to 2014, <laughs> you will find the first Actus podcast. But we do have, you know, for example, I was just referring to that vaping-associated pulmonary injury syndrome show. It's here. Click on it. You can listen to them. So, I, And I do include in these descriptions here links to these articles. So, But we do have, again, we, we do have this uh, addition to the ICD-10-CM official coding guidelines for, for E-Valley. Um, you know, I'm, this is worth reviewing. We don't have time to cover it all here today. But in essence, there, there is some um, pretty clear guidance here about patients documented with electronic cigarette, e-cigarette, or vaping product use. Um, it says to assign the code for the specific condition. And they list some examples here, uh, some J codes. For patients with acute lung injury, but without further documentations identifying a specific condition, for example, there's no 
there's no uh, documentation of pneumonitis, bronchitis. It says to assign J8, J68.9 unspecified respiratory condition due to chemicals, gases, fumes, and vapors. Um, so we do have some guidance there. It also mentions that uh, acute nicotine exposure can be toxic. Children and adults have been poisoned by swallowing, breathing, or absorbing e-cigarette liquid, for example, through their skin or eyes. And so for those type of patients, you want to assign toxic effect of other nicotine or tobacco, uh, accidental or unintentional. Um, that's T65.291. And then they also have a patient for uh, with acute THC toxicity and a code for that, T40.7X1. I, I love reading ICD-10 codes, by the way. I'm just going to say that. Um, <laughs> also details on how to code for substance use, abuse, dependence, signs, and, and uh, syndromes. So, you know, there, there are some signs and symptoms, excuse me, signs and symptoms for patients that um, where a definitive diagnosis has not been established and what to do in those instances. So some, some guidance from the CDC about this, uh, you know, crisis. Uh, we're having in the country right now does appear to be leveling off, but but they obviously want to get the right some coded data behind this. Just curious, Lori, what you thought of this guidance? Anything that you thought was good, or anything you think that could be improved upon? Um, you know, I when I looked at it, what I liked is it was pretty consistent with what we discussed on that um, podcast um, mm -hmm. earlier in October and. What I loved is they were giving us direction very quickly and I think timely on this because, you know, I think a lot of times CDIs, um, especially those that came from the clinical side, kind of feel a disconnect with, um, you know, the care of the patient. And if we can start to standardize how this is being reported, we're doing um, the we're doing our patient population a favor because this is going to help the CDC better understand exactly what's happening. And I think that it, that standardized data is really going to help with what's the next step with how to, how to treat these injuries and how to prevent them. Um, so I, I'm actually very excited that there's been so much attention to this because I think mm -hmm. a lot of people think that it's um, kind of innocuous and not an issue. I have a lot of young adults in my family that we argue about this one. So um, yep. I, I think gathering good data will only um, help us better understand this. So, and I think CDIs can impact that. Right. And this guidance does say that new codes are intended, uh, that are intended to address additional detail will be presented at the March 2020 ICD-10-CM coordination and maintenance uh, committee meeting. So probably mm -hmm. more codes to come, but we do have this for now. Yeah. All right, let's just wrap up with a quick Actus update. So um, I've been referring to the our Actus pocket guide. Uh, this is, um, at the printer, I've actually seen a, a bound hard copy, so it, it does exist, and we're, we're actually thrilled to be bringing it to you. Um, just in summary, Actus is going to be producing its own must-have guide for CDI professionals. The Actus Park Guide is an all-new book providing indispensable at-the-fingertip guidance for CDI professionals during your day-to-day -day chart reviews. Uh, our authors, we have one on the show today, Laurie Prescott. We've We've seen the type of information she can deliver on ARDS, acute respiratory um, 
acute respiratory distress and other other uh, disorders that we'll be covering in the book in, in extensive detail. We, we did partner up, Laurie, with uh, James Manns, who is a cons consultant in spine and neurological surgery with the Mayo Clinic. Dr. Manns added a lot of practical provider tips throughout. Um, this is a new product for us, but we're confident it will meet the same high quality standards you've come to expect from Actus since we started back in 2007. So check it out. The, this is the web page I'm showing you on HC Marketplace. Um, this does have a little more detail about the book and what it contains, including a section on MDC for diseases and disorders, the respiratory system, and some of the conditions it covers. So we're, we're thrilled to be bringing this to you. All right, that is going to do it for today's edition of the Actus podcast. Uh, we'll see you back here again in two weeks for our next program, which is uh, CDI's role in physician burnout. I think on the preventative side as opposed to <laughs> burned out. Um, I was wondering but, when I read that title. Yeah, it, it kind of reads that way a little bit, but we're, we've actually got some ideas for helping with this with this issue. Um, but I want to again thank 3M for their support of today's show. And as always, if you have any suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, I frankly got a couple really detailed emails today from folks who are having some issues coding uh, injuries, for example, um, and some other questions that we might try to address on a show. So keep those coming. This is how we come up with our topics. You can send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. That will do it again. See you back here in two weeks. And thanks again, Laurie. And That's everyone right. else. Yeah. Take care.